simple breathing exercise that tries to focus on the here and now. So I'll read uh, through the the entire uh, uh, talk, so to speak, once, and then if we close our eyes and and try to focus on uh, just the important part, uh, then we can do that together. The the title uh, of the talk that I heard that he gave is Breathing In, Breathing Out. You can close your eyes if you want or not. It's up to you. But it goes like this. Breathing in, I know I am breathing in. Breathing out, I know I'm breathing out. Breathing in, I notice my in-breath is deep. Breathing out, I notice my out-breath is slow. Breathing in, I calm my whole body. Breathing out, I feel ease. Breathing in, I smile at everything, including my worries. Breathing out, I release everything, including my tension. Breathing in, I am aware that I'm dwelling in the present moment. Breathing out, I know this is a moment of happiness, a wonderful moment. Again, breathing in, I know I'm breathing in. Breathing out, I know I'm breathing out. Breathing in, I notice my in-breath is deep. Breathing out, I notice my breath goes slowly. Breathing in, I calm my body. Breathing out, I feel ease. Breathing in, I smile. Breathing out, I release. Breathing in, I'm aware of the present moment. Breathing out, I know this is a moment of happiness. In-breath, out-breath. Deep, slow, ease, calm. Smile, release. Present moment, wonderful moment. And then on your own. ready, can open your eyes, and we'll remain seated for hymn number 318, We Would Be One. ourselves anew to that high 
is true. comes from a sermon, Wholesome, Wholeness and Togetherness, by Reverend Tracy Sprouse Jenks. If Unitarian Universalism is to be the religion for now, a religion for our times, we need to understand what it means to be in community. Like the blind men and the elephant, we must accept that we all come at this thing called life from different perspectives, and all of these are a part of the whole and not the whole. Togetherness and wholeness. This is what many of you were looking for when you walked through those doors. This is what so many people out there are looking for if they only knew such a place as this existed. This is what we can offer the world. Be here now. It's a phrase that evokes a lot of different thoughts and feelings for different people. It's the title of a 1971 book by Ram Das in which he introduces the concepts of Hinduism and spiritual yoga as a Westerner to a Western audience, one of the first to be able to do that. And it became a slogan, be here now, and adopted by some who wish to get away from what they viewed as the detachment of modern urban life, detachment from what was real. It was a turning away from the cultural values of the day, the late 60s, early 70s, a period that my brother refers to as when adult America lost its mind. For me, though, it has always encapsulated much of what it means to be human, to be present in the moment, which is not always easy. But I believe it's when we are fully engaged in what we're doing that we become our most capable and our most complete. From athletes to surgeons, writers to scientists, musicians, and all the rest of us, if we really look at what we're doing, we can speak of being in the zone, of being fully absorbed in what we're doing, 
we're paying attention to what we're doing as completely as possible, even though not necessarily directly aware of the effort we're putting in to do it. Another book published a few years after Be Here Now was Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Some of you may also have heard of it, or if you went to high school around the same time I did, maybe read it, because it was assigned reading in my English class. The author, uh, Robert Persig, had much to say about life and what made a good life. Uh, The subtitle talks about examining values. Well, I remember basically none of the rest of it. I've remembered one sentence ever since. That sentence was, the point of life is to put in good minutes, one after the other. That thought has stayed with me now 30-some years later. And as I've considered the meanings, many of them that are contained within that sentence, I've come to appreciate how we don't experience life as a flashback, and we can't fast forward through it to just the good parts. We have to live every one of our minutes as they come. So if I should be here now and put in good minutes, what does that mean? Well, I find that most importantly it means paying attention to what's around me as well as what's within me. To pay attention to what I'm doing. To be careless, to be thoughtless is to be less than alive, less human than I can be. Quoting again from Thich Nhat Hanh, you can see I relied on him heavily for this. In his book, The Miracle of Mindfulness, he put it this way. If while washing dishes, we think only about the cup of tea that awaits us, thus hurrying to get the dishes out of the way, as if they were a nuisance, then we are not washing the dishes to wash the dishes, but to be somewhere else instead. What's more, we are not alive during the time we are washing the dishes. In fact, we are completely incapable of realizing what a miracle of life it is to stand there at the sink and put our hands in the water. If we can't wash the dishes, then the chances are we won't be able to drink our tea either because while drinking that cup of tea, we'll only be thinking about the next thing we're going to be doing, barely aware of the cup in our hands. Thus, we are sucked away into the future and we're incapable of actually living one minute in the present. If you're familiar with the Buddhist Eightfold Path, this paying attention can be seen as one of the last stages on the journey to enlightenment. Having the right view and the right intentions leads one to be able to use the right speech, perform the right actions, live the right livelihood, which then allows right effort, right mindfulness, and finally, right concentration. While most of us do not live lives of such spiritual dedication that we're likely to actually achieve full enlightenment, I know I don't, we are able to move our lives in that direction. And however close to nirvana we may come, we can only do so one minute at a time. And more importantly for me and I think for you, since you're here and not in a monastery somewhere, in that journey to enlightenment, however far along it I may get, I've realized it's not a solo journey. It goes through a home and a family, a town and a county, a state, a country, a world, sometimes out of this world, 
But most of those divisions are artificial. They are created and defined by human beings and used as a means of separating groups of human beings from each other. Yet that doesn't make them any less real in that they can affect my life. And I'll come back to that later. But at the same time, my journey takes place through my relationships with other people. My family, obviously, father, mother, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, spouse, child, now grandchild. I have or have had all of those in my life, and most of them I am to someone else as well. Relationships are, by definition, reciprocal. There are at least two people in every relationship, and they affect each other. After family comes friends. There are degrees of friendship, of course. Casual friends with whom we might share an interest. Work friends with whom, strangely, most of us end up spending more time than our other friends. Close friends, people we know well and trust. And if we're lucky, old friends. Those we've known for as long as we can remember and upon whom we can rely when needed. There are more sorts of relationships in my life and everyone's life. I'm a colleague to my coworkers, a fellow commuter to the regulars on the train I ride to work each day, a fellow veteran to the local chapter of the DAV, and waiter slash maid to the dozen or so animals that depend on me. I frequently define myself both to others and to myself through these relationships. I cannot nor would I want to be without them. We are social creatures. We reach out to and want to be reached by others. And so we form our many bonds through choice or circumstance. And interestingly, to me anyway, as I was preparing this, uh, I thought about this community and how the people in it are a cross-section of all those relationships that I, that I mentioned earlier. And each of you has a relationship with me that is unique and yet collectively represents a relationship that I have with the congregation that is separate and distinct. And even though it's with a group, not an individual, it doesn't make it any less real or important to me. It's one of the most important in my life. Now, what is less real, but maybe not less important, is my relationship to society with a capital S. Where I live defines, to a large extent, who that neighbor is. We covenant each week to help. Because I live in Loudoun County, and obligatory reminder, that's one of the richest per capita household counties in the nation, it's easy to get lulled into thinking all is well with my neighbors. In fact, it's easy to get lulled into thinking all is well with the world. Well, maybe not over there, since we see and hear about all the bad things that are happening somewhere else every time we turn on whatever form of news media we happen to use. But here, where I live, things are fine. I don't see too many neighbors in need of help. Not true, of course. Yet it's all too easy to stop looking because you don't see problems if you don't have problems and you don't look. Poverty, we have it. Illiteracy, got that too. Intolerance, prejudice, discrimination, all too much. But unless I'm paying attention, I don't notice it. And going to the next artificial division, the state of Virginia, I was never more disappointed in the democratic process than in 2006. When the citizens of the Commonwealth voted to deny some of us the right to both equal protection and happiness, 
that they viewed as self-evident for themselves. And I was never more sure that the moral arc of the universe bends toward justice than when that decision was thrown out. But notice that it was not the democratic process that did it. It was a small group, in this case of judges, who decided what was best for the rest of us. Why? Well, one reason might be that less than half of those eligible actually voted in that 2006 election. Stepping away from the pulpit for a second. Remember, three weeks from Tuesday is an election. (laughs) Vote. It's important. Looking beyond the state border, one can see regional, national, global issues of even more gravity. From wars to climate change, there's more than enough suffering and wrong that needs righting. But there's also beauty and joy to be found and ways to make more. Just this week, we've had two instances brought to the front, both mentioned now. One is the, uh, the decision uh, in the circuit court, and the other uh, was the awarding of the Nobel Peace Prize to Kalish Satarjathi and Malala Yousafzai. For, in the words of the Nobel Committee, their struggle against the suppression of children and young people and for the right of all children to education. There are an endless number of such examples if we will only look. And one just has to look right here. Within the walls of our little sanctuary, I can find neighbors who need help and those providing beauty and meaning to others' lives. Within my county are all the tools needed to make a better world. Within my world, there are places and people enough to fill a lifetime with joy if I will just pay attention to them. So although some may be able to, I know I cannot complete my journey by myself. I need others along with me on that road, sharing the sights, sharing the hardships, sharing their insights, and sharing mine, helping me to know that I'm not alone. After all, as Ram Das said, we are all just walking each other home. Whether to our families, to our congregation, to our community, or to ourselves, we need to pay attention. As far as we are able, we need to put in good minutes and be here now together. If you would stand as you are able. Number 298 is Wake Now, My 